Hey, this is Ronnie Barber, former Virginia Cavalier, now Class of 2023 Pro Football Hall of Famer. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to the show. It's the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. I'm Chris Graham with the Hall of Famer, Jerry Ratcliffe. We missed our show last week, so we got a lot to catch up on. Lots of UVA football and basketball news. We'll start with the ACC and what is or isn't going on behind the scenes in public everywhere regarding potential expansion. Uh, Jerry, there's been a lot of talk uh, about uh, what the ACC may do. Um, maybe it's gotten quiet the last couple of days. Um, we may hear something soon. We may not hear anything. What's the latest of what you're hearing and what you're thinking may be happening? Yeah, I'm wearing one of my ACC hats today, Chris, because who knows, it might be the ACC P PCC or something <laughs> before the weekend's over. Um, yeah, you know, they were, it, we all got excited when things popped back up again uh, earlier in the week when it sounded like the ACC presidents and ADs are, have uh, done more research. Uh, there's been more apparently behind the doors, uh, closed doors meetings and things. Um and then everything has fallen silent again, which means I guess they don't want us to know what's going on. Um, no surprise there, but um, obviously people who have been paying attention and for those who haven't, uh, they're readdressing, bringing in Cal and Stanford and SMU. Um, as we have discussed before, SMU would come in five to seven years and take no revenue uh, Cal and Stanford would come in at 30% of what, uh, of, of the full financial package that uh, a member would normally receive in, in TV money, um, which would give the ACC apparently approximately $72 million annually to play with until those teams get eventually caught up. Um, it's a lot of money to throw around. Uh, they could do a lot of different things with it. Uh, I guess that would resolve some of the issues of uh, equal revenue sharing where uh, some of the top or more visible programs or more successful programs in postseason would garner a bigger share than the others and use some of that money perhaps for Travel expenses. There, there's been a couple of um, reports from the West Coast that the Cal and Stanford would join in football, basketball, and women's basketball only, and then another that it would be full memberships in all sports. Which I don't see the football, basketball, and women's basketball only uh, making any sense because I, I don't know where else they would put their other the Olympic sports teams. I, I, I can't imagine another conference out there um, accepting just their Olympic sports only. So I expect that if they come in, it'll be in all sports, but uh, everything's gotten kind of quiet, Chris, which um, the only, only thing we've heard that might uh, suggest that there's been a, a change in attitude somewhere was uh, when uh, Dorrance, the women's soccer coach from North Carolina came out earlier in the week and said he hoped that Cal and Stanford died on the vine and uh, quickly retract, or sort of retracted 
uh, that statement the following day after I imagine uh, Bubba Cunningham had a word or two with him. And he was talking about how glorious and how much respect he had for the Cal and Stanford programs. So it sounds like to me that uh, perhaps Carolina is uh, rethinking their stance on the expansion. They were a vote, no vote. And I'm sure the NC State will go along with whatever Carolina is uh, going to do. So uh, if that's the case, I, I would expect that maybe by the sometime over the weekend or early next week, the ACC might be an 18-team conference, Chris. You know, $72 million, uh, if you divide it up by the other 15 schools, uh, if you include Notre Dame in that, uh, and they wouldn't get a full share because they don't play football, but it'd be about $5 million a year. Um, yeah. Which you know is not going to move the needle by itself, but it's it's something. Uh, it's something, and uh, you know, and I wonder if that fat figure also includes, and I don't think it does, um, what the ACC network would get in extra revenues by being in the Dallas and San Francisco TV markets. I think you might see that number go up a little bit, but still, it, it would it would be something. Right now, the ACC pays out about. 10 million less per school than SEC schools get and about 20 million less per school than a big 10 schools get. And that number just grows because these new TV deals for the SEC and big 10 are kicking in. And, and by the end of the decade, we're seeing those numbers projected to be closer to, you know, 40 to $50 million per school per year. So, um, you know, the ACC has got work to do there. Uh, but, um, you know, I mean, turning to, you wouldn't turn down 5 million per year. Uh, if you can get it, it's better than zero per year. Um, I did. <laughs> the comments from Dorrance were interesting. I, I, you know, I, I, he's of course a legendary coach. He's won so many national championships in North Carolina so to the point that Dean Smith used to say that Carolina was a women's soccer school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that comment from Dean uh, back in the day. Uh, uh, and, and I, but I'd never really heard him uh, interviewed at length until I saw him on the ACC network, that ACC PM show with Mark Packer uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, man, what a great guy. He's a great interview. He was just such a pleasant guy to listen to. And then I see the quote, let him, let him die on the vine. <laughs> it was hard to reconcile the two. Like what a, no what a, nice, what a nice grandfatherly like guy. And then he's saying, let him die on the vine. So, um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, yeah, we don't have any news. It's, it's all speculation at this point, but you know, depending on uh, what you're reading, what time of day it is, uh, is, you know, somebody seems to have a hot scoop that there's something going on. Uh, you, you know, you just wonder at this point, we've seen so many of those hot scoops the last couple of weeks. Uh, either at some point, the you know, one of, one of those guys is going to be right at the right time or um, we'll just start playing football and forget about it all until next year. So um, <laughs> if you had to guess, Jerry, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think, do you think we're going to see any news on this? I do now, Chris. I, at first, I didn't think that it was going to happen. I, I thought there would be just enough people opposed to block it. And, and uh, originally, I guess it was with the straw vote. But it sounds like something has changed. And uh, I, I assume that the they're looking at examining different financial models that could work. Uh, sounds like some of them are appealing. Uh, there's also some chatter out there that Amazon is in talks with Disney about uh, ESPN, which could, um, you know, mean more money down the road. And ESPN apparently also is uh, 
talking about a new streaming service where they would charge $25 to $35, I guess, uh, I don't know if that's, a, yeah, a month, which would be the most expensive streaming service in the country, um, which I guess could create more revenue for them. I don't know what that would mean for the ACC, but uh, it sounds like everybody is exploring every avenue for more money and I still in the back of my mind I was told something back in the spring when uh, expansion stuff started cropping up again that that should uh, the ACC come to some kind of arrangement with the schools from the west coast there there could there could be a possibility of some Las Vegas um game sites and not to dismiss the thought that someone like MGM would not get involved. And that could mean uh, Buku's of money, uh, depending on their involvement and, and what they want to do. So uh, it sounds like there's extra revenue streams out there. It's just a matter of how much and who it goes to and, and uh, how they can make people happy. The ACC tournament's coming to Vegas, baby. It could be. <laughs> we may see it there. You never know. Hey, see the championship football game there, too. Exactly, yeah. Fly out there and play some football in December. It'd be better weather than – well, it might be better weather than Charlotte. It might not be. Uh, the, the desert can get kind of chilly in the wintertime, too. But uh, in any case, uh, hey, they're looking for the money. Uh, and that's that's what uh, that's what makes the world go around. So no surprise there. Um, let's switch gears now. We've, uh, we, we mentioned we haven't talked for a couple of weeks. A lot of UVA football news as the season is uh, just a, a week and a day from kicking off down in Nashville with Virginia playing number 10 in the coaches poll, Tennessee. Um, we've got, let's see, a new starting quarterback named. Probably not a surprise as far as who that was, but uh, there was news about uh, a battle there towards the end of camp. Uh, also, some injury updates. Uh, Jerry, uh, maybe start with the quarterback. Uh, Tony Elliott uh, uh, formally naming a quarterback on Monday. Yeah, I know you and I weren't surprised. I doubt that anybody really was. Um, maybe a few people were disappointed. There seems to be some folks out there who are uh, backing uh, Anthony Calandria, the fresh, true freshman that came up from St. Pete, Florida. And were, uh, I, I just didn't think for a minute that Tony Elliott would throw a true freshman into the Lions' den out in Nashville against uh, a top ten team to start the season. That that would be that could be brutal. Um, it could be brutal anyway, but uh, it was no surprise to us. I know that Tony Musket was named the starting quarterback with a little over, I guess, two weeks left in camp, which would give him uh, perhaps more reps, which you'll need to get ready for that Tennessee defense, which apparently has revamped from last season when they were one of the worst pass defenses in the country. But uh, they've had, they brought in some transfers and stuff and that defense uh, I know has caught the eye of Des Kitchens, Virginia's offensive coordinator. We asked him about that earlier in the week and he, first thing he said was their front seven, uh, which apparently is is uh, some of the guys they've brought in uh, are pretty strong up front and uh, get after the passer. 
And I asked him specifically if, if he expected Tennessee to test Musket early. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, we think they'll throw everything in the book at him to see if he can handle it. And I'm, I'm, I imagine that's what we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I think I saw uh, Coach Kitchings also talk about uh, his expectation that Tennessee will load the box, uh, try to take away the running game, and and, uh, and and then also because of the extra guys up close to the line of scrimmage, that'll, that'll put more of that pressure on, on Musket. Uh, and so, uh, you know, double tough there. If you can't run the ball or if you make it hard to run the ball and then uh, also get some more pressure on him, the, you know, it'll, 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 it'll challenge Musket to, to make quick reads in that uh, pro style offense. So, um, so we got that news. And then also uh, interesting opportunity yesterday. Uh, and I, and I know you've written about this. I've written about this. A lot of folks have written about this, but what a great story uh, in the battle for place kicker. And as far as we know, uh, uh, from t- uh, Coach Keith Gaither, the uh, special teams coordinator, as of Monday, still a battle on what underway, uh, and and should be uh, going on may- uh, maybe up through next week uh, as to who will be the starting place kicker, both kickoff specialist and uh, the guy will be on field goals and extra points uh, between the incumbent Will Betridge and uh, a guy with a heck of a backstory, Matt Ganyard. Uh, uh, talk about uh, Matt Ganyard and uh, this 34-year-old guy, father of two, military veteran, uh, who, because of a loophole in NCAA regulations, uh, maybe, uh, you know, playing in his first college fo- first college football game, his first football game ever next week. Yeah, he didn't even play high school football. So, <laughs> uh, he had never tried on a helmet until um, tryouts this year. He had always kicked without a helmet. So uh, he was joking with us. He said, uh, I put on a helmet and, and pads for the first time. And he said, I he was referring back to a, a, a movie called Little Giants where a kid put a cup over his nose and said, is this where this goes? And <laughs> it went, sailed right over the heads of the, his younger teammates who had no idea what he was talking about. And he, he dated himself again. So but I found him to be a, just a delightful man. Uh, like you said, 34 years old. He, he doesn't look 34. He looks like he could fit in with most of those kids. But um, just a, a great, great guy. Uh, we we thank him for his service. He was a Cobra attack helicopter pilot for uh, during his eight years in the Marines, U.S. Marines. His dad was a 28-year veteran uh, fighter pilot for Marine, the Marines. And, I mean, he's living his dream, Chris. He, he tried out for the football team in 2009 as a walk-on kicker and made all of his kicks and still didn't make the team. They had some guys ahead of him. Um, I think Robert Randolph was the kicker uh, back then for three, I think three years for Virginia. And um, so he, you know, he went back and became a, a, a fan on the Hill. There's a picture of him somewhere with the, he was one of three guys with the bare chest and the UVA, UVA. Yeah, I think he had the V on his chest and screaming from the hill, uh, rooting on Chris Long and his teammates. But um, he kind of thought that door was closed, but he, he never gave up on it. And um, it, it, it's just an amazing story. He, he got the email that he got that he didn't make the team. He put that on his iPad as a uh, daily reminder that he didn't make it that 
uh, he just wasn't good enough at the time. And it was became a burning obsession with him. And he kept that on his iPad for years, I think until his uh, picture of his daughter replaced it. But uh, every port of call that they stopped at when he was uh, on, on a seven-month uh, mission with with uh, on a, a small ship uh, with the helicopters. Uh, they went to the Mediterranean Sea, uh, sailed the Pacific Ocean. Um, he took he bought somewhere he bought a cheap uh, rubbery football, the kind you'd buy at a beach shop down at Myrtle Beach or somewhere, at Nags Head, and uh, kept it with him on the ship. And anytime they came ashore. He would take the football with him and look for a place to kick. <laughs> he didn't want to go seven months without kicking a football. So he, he was kicking it in random islands uh, off the coast of Thailand. Uh, he found a soccer field in Jordan and uh, was out there kicking. And some Jordanian soldiers who probably had no idea what the hell he was doing uh, were so curious. They came over and they couldn't speak English. He couldn't speak their language. And so, he had them out there kicking the football with him. So it, it was a burning obsession. And then when he got out of the military, uh, you mentioned the NCAA loophole. Uh, if you go into the military, you can get – the NCAA will freeze your eligibility until you are out. Uh, I think it's also a religious exemption that they do that as well, like for the BYU kids. But he, um, he decided to – give it another try. And he, he went to Darden school. He thought last year he might be able to do it. And then he realized that Darden's uh, class schedule conflicted with Virginia's practices. So that door was closed. He thought maybe that was the end because that was his fifth year of eligibility and that was it. So when Virginia started practice this August, or and he found out that the, this year's practice schedule would not conflict with Darden's class times. He asked Virginia to uh, petition the NCAA to see if he could get a sixth year, even though he had never played it down before or even been on a team. The NCAA initially rejected that, and they appealed it and won only four days before camp opened. And so he showed up at camp. Uh, walked in the, the locker room and only a couple guys knew who he was. The other couldn't figure out why well, was this 34-year-old guy? Who's this um, old dude? <laughs> they didn't even realize how old he was um, <laughs> until Tony Elliott had him introduce, introduce himself at the end of the um, team meeting. And uh, so uh, he got a few, he's been razzed a little bit by his teammates, but he's fit in. He's worked hard to fit in and just be one of the guys, and I think he's earned all of the, the respect. And you're right, uh, he has been in the mix as a kicker. And and um, Coach Gaither, uh, I asked him specifically, I said, you know, does he have a chance? He said, and this was Monday, I think, he said, should we play tomorrow? He, It's very well uh, very likely or very much possible that he will be our kickoff guy. So um, even Tony Elliott said he'd noticed a lot of pop in that 36-year-old leg and, and 
we did we told uh, Matt Ginyard, uh, who follows me on Twitter, he said, uh, he said, I saw that. And he said, coach keeps aging me. He said, I don't need that. He said, coach, I'm just 34. Uh, but uh, sounds like he might be making that trip to Nashville uh, a week from Saturday, Chris, and we might see him kicking off. Hey, and here's the, here's the funny thing. I noted this in the story that I wrote about this. Uh, and your story was really nice too, that if, so let's just let's just go through the hypothetical here. Virginia wins the the coin toss, defers. So, you know, a lot of a lot of teams defer, or if they lose, and you know whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and and Virginia ends up kicking off. The first person to touch a football from the Virginia side would be him. Yeah, <laughs> a guy who's never played a football game in his life could be the first guy to touch the ball from the orange <laughs> and blue side. Uh, in front of seventy five thousand people against the number ten team in the country, Tennessee. That that's just what a story. And I mean, the fact that you know he he kicked a rubber football for all those years. He he, he <laughs> kept it up. I think one part of the story was he uh, reached out when he was stationed in San Diego for seven months. He reached out to Nick Novak, who actually has ties. He's a former, I think, Alabama high school kicker. Uh, yes. Kicked in the NFL for a long, long time, including with San Diego. Retired to San Diego and. He worked with Nick Novak. He he mentioned some other NFL place kickers he worked with. I mean, he he talked about in 2009 when YouTube was still pretty brand new. He, he when he was a student at UVA, he uh, would find videos on YouTube like instructional videos on how to improve as a kicker. I mean, everybody everybody that I knew when we were in school when I was at UVA. I mean, you'd go down to Lambeth and you know the big you know colonnades there in the big field and you'd get a football and you'd kick it and see what happened and i mean this guy did that and did it well enough practice it well enough and he's on the as as a 34 year old he's going to be you know he's on the football team might be the kickoff specialist might be the place kicker might be kicking field goals um for that football team all those many years later and you said sixth year or you could say 16th year he graduated <laughs> from uva in 2011 i mean this is what yeah. a, what a story for this guy yeah, it's it's one of the great stories in college football this year, and I'm sure that as we navigate our way through the season, that that will be a, a special story on the ACC network and ESPN and and all the the uh, different networks that televise Virginia games because it's it's heartwarming, it's inspiring, uh, it touches a lot of lives. It's uh, got the military uh, part of the story, you know. Surely every Marine out there is pulling for him to succeed. Um, it's just uh, something that, you know, you would expect uh, a Hollywood scriptwriter to pick up and, and do something special with. And, and who knows, they may do it if he's successful. Um, it's just a great, a great story that uh, one of the great things about college football, it's just another uh, heartwarming story. He's our real life Rudy at UVA, and uh, yeah, I'll say this: I was a little one thing I was disheartened to learn. You know, when I heard the story when Coach Elliott talked about him at camp a couple weeks ago after one of the practices, and he said, "Yeah, we got a 36 year old kicker." Like you said, he, he's aging him a little bit. Uh, it made my brain start turning. Okay, so huh, I could enroll in Darden, and uh, you know, if a 30 if a 34 year old guy can kick, maybe a 51 year old guy can kick. Um, you know, I'll start I'll get out there and start working on my kicking game. And then, yeah. Okay. So I don't have, I can, you know, my, my four year, my five year window closed about 1999, unfortunately for me. <laughs> um, 
But then, you know, when I was explaining this to a friend, the friend said, well, yeah, okay. So just Chris, you're the kickoff guy. Uh, if you don't get a touchback, you're gonna, you might have to tackle somebody. Uh, <laughs> that's Matt Gagnard's issue. If he's the, if he's the uh, kickoff specialist, he better kick it deep. Uh, or he might be out there trying to tackle somebody. Uh, uh, that's, uh, I mean, there's, there's what a, what a just incredible story. And I think it's so inspirational to, to anybody out there. This guy, I mean, it, it, there were so many roadblocks, uh, put up in his way and he's, he's, he's out there. I, I, I love this story. It just goes to show, uh, what persistence can do for you if you don't give up on your dream. And, uh, you're right about the tackling. He, he mentioned that he said, uh, he said, I've never made a tackle in my life. I don't even, he said, I'm going to have to get these guys to teach me how to make a tackle. He said, but I, I would like to make one just to be able to tell my kids someday that daddy made a one, had one career tackle. <laughs> but I'm not sure Virginia wants it to come down to that because if he doesn't know how, he might not, uh, he might not be able to do a very good job of it. There might have been something in boot camp about a decade ago where he had to do something similar, maybe uh, <laughs> that uh, will come to mind. But uh, yeah, what a Being great green, story! I have a feeling he'll find a way to get a guy down on the ground. <laughs> he, he might, he might be better at it than he thinks. Yeah, as far as yeah. <laughs> looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville, look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965 with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's Big Time Steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then because I believed in the Goodfeet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Goodfeet store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back. And you're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. So uh, on the injury update, I know the last time we had access to the coaching staff, I, I guess it was uh, on Monday. So this news might be a little old. But uh, one concern, certainly, uh, among the, the guys who are the walking wounded, Chico Bennett. Uh, what's the latest on him, uh, uh, Jerry? Yeah, as of Monday, Chris, uh, Tony Elliott told us that I guess – uh, Chico had gone uh, through some arthroscopic surgery and they found some bone fragments that uh, had impinged his knee. He couldn't couldn't bend it. And uh, so they cleared all that out. Uh, he was up without crutches and walking around. But they said that uh, he can't do anything for 10 days. And that was I don't know if that was as of Monday or as of after the surgery, which I assume was over the weekend. So uh, I don't think he'll be available by any means for the trip to Nashville. But uh, 
I would imagine they would hope that to have him back for the JMU game, um, where they they'll need uh, his services, being the most experienced pass rusher that they have. Uh, so good, good news that they you know they were they were dreading uh, when they first got the news that it might be a longer period of time or maybe the whole season. So yeah, uh, good news for the big picture. Yes, and a guy that's going to be very essential to the uh, success of the defense, a uh, very talented uh, edge rusher. Um, what are some of the other injury updates uh, from, from Monday from Coach Elliott? I don't think there was all of uh, stuff that was very serious. Um, some of the offensive linemen were banged up still at that point, and which has prevented them from getting the uh, cohesiveness I think they know that they're going to need to be able to run the ball against Tennessee. And uh, Mikhail Boley, uh, who's been – who had an ankle issue, uh, their starting left tackle, they've had to work with some other guys. They moved uh, Blake Steen, a guard, out to left tackle. They moved uh, Uganda Nama, I think it's uh, – Nana, Nana, I think, the transfer from Houston – uh, they had had him at left tackle some and, had, and also uh, at right tackle. So both those guys are capable of playing any of those spots, guard, right guard, left guard, right tackle, left tackle, in case Bowley doesn't uh, heal in time, uh, which gives them a little more versatility, maybe a little more depth on the offensive line. They hope to have eight to ten guys ready um, along the line, and that, that's what you pretty much need. And it, I imagine it'll be a pretty hot day down in Nashville, and they'll be going up against a team with a lot of depth. So uh, they're probably going to need some fresh legs from time to time to try to um, just stay uh, fresh in that game against a very uh, depth, uh, very deep volunteer squad because uh, Tennessee apparently is loaded. Uh, in most positions. Yeah, when I last looked at the weather forecast uh, for Nashville for September 2nd, 88 degrees, no chance of rain. Um, the kickoff is an early kickoff there because it's a 12 o'clock kickoff East Coast, so 11 o'clock their time. But yeah, both teams will be substituting pretty liberally because it's the first game. And yeah, you're right. The SEC school, you would assume, and Tennessee being a, a team with playoff aspirations, uh, they're, they're going to have more depth there. Uh, so that will be a challenge for Virginia, no doubt. Um, I just looked our, our next opportunity to, uh, to talk with uh, coach Elliot is Tuesday. So, because we're next week is game week. Uh, we go to the game week schedule and it'll be every Tuesday that he'll be meeting with the media. And that's when we'll get the depth chart, uh, on Wednesday, a chance to hear from the, uh, the two coordinators, the two uh, offensive coordinator, Des Kitchings, defensive coordinator, John Rosinski. And that's a weekly thing as well. So, um, we won't have any updates uh, on, on player status until then, but um, boy, we're actually talking about game week, which is uh, we're finally almost here uh, uh, as far as that goes, Jerry. And um, uh, so uh, let's think here. Uh, uh, recruiting news now, uh, maybe start since we're on football, any football recruiting news updates to share? Yeah. Before we go there, I, I would just, uh, a lot of people have been asking me about just how good is Tennessee and, all, you know, I've done, started doing some research on them, but I was just looking at a number that uh, was eye-opening a minute ago. That last year, they ranked uh, number one in 
Power Five or well, Division One football, FCS football, FBS football. I keep getting those confused. Yeah. Um, number one in the nation in scoring, forty six points a game, five hundred and twenty five yards per game. They have their uh, senior quarterback Joe Milton back, who is six five two forty, who can run the ball and throw it. He's got maybe the strongest arm of. Uh, anybody that anybody's ever seen, I guess. But uh, they, I think all the running backs are back. Three of their offensive line starters are back. Some of their receivers, I think they lost their top receiver. But um, this is a, a very uh, high-powered offense, Chris. It's going to test Virginia early. Uh, but I guess the big thing is if Virginia can answer, and that's something that everybody's holding their breath waiting to see. But um, – Anyway, so much. Oh, well, for that. And since you, I, I skipped ahead too from from yeah. one thing. I wanted to get your thoughts on um, the story. So, a reporter uh, after practice on Monday asked Coach Elliott about the Tennessee job. Uh, you know, there's been you know the the talk for a couple of years when he was at Clemson. Coach Elliott interviewed for the job. Uh, it's long been said that he, um, you know, it, it was uh, offered the job, turned it down, and he was asked about that Monday. Just he answered the question. He went into you know detail about why he didn't want ended up not taking the job. And then the Tennessee AD that night uh, tweeted, um, "You have to wonder the, the time of night. Maybe a cocktail or two was involved." Uh, <laughs> but uh, Danny White tweeted about how he doesn't remember offering the job to Tony Elliott. Uh, this and, and of course, Coach Elliott hasn't responded. I don't know that he needs to respond. It seems like the kind of thing that. You know, I think I don't think any of us who know Coach Elliott think that he was making this up for the last two years that he was offered a job that he decided to turn down. But that's that's another storyline going into to game day next week. Yeah, and I, the times that it has come up, which hasn't been often, uh, I I don't ever recall Tony Elliott Tony Elliott saying firmly that he was offered the job. He may have implied it in some of his language, but he said that, you know, he interviewed, uh, there was strong interest by him, uh, that he decided that he prayed about it, wanted the Lord to direct him. And he just felt like it wasn't the time, which would lead me to believe that it was his job if he wanted it. And uh, that's not far-fetched considering he was offensive coordinator of two-time national champion and uh, a team that had dominated the ACC for, what, a decade, I guess. Um, certainly if I was AD somewhere, I, it, you know, you'd have to give that guy incredible consideration if he's interested in your job. So anyways, um, yeah, um, Danny White said uh, an interview doesn't mean that a job was offered, but – it's he said, she said kind of thing. And um, I think Danny White went out of his way to make a mountain out of a molehill. And uh, it does it really matter? I mean, who who really cares? And, uh, you know, if I were Danny White, I'd be more concerned with um, my former football coach uh, tainting my football program with uh, 200 NCAA violations than I would be whether or not I offered uh, somebody a job or not. 
Yeah. And if I'm Tony Elliott, I'm probably thinking, God, that I didn't take that job or, or, or uh, whatever the case may be to work for a guy with an itchy Twitter finger and um, at, be working at a place where if you're not cheating, you're not trying. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, football recruiting news now. Uh, what's the what's the latest on the recruiting trail? Uh, not much. Uh, little. I had little action last week. Um, they got one commitment, which was their, I believe, their 16th commitment to this class. Um, it's tied in from uh, La Costa Canyon High School just outside of San Diego, California. Uh, Matt Ganyard's old stomping grounds. Um 6'3", 225, kid named Trevor Ladd, 78-inch um, wingspan, which is pretty nice for a tight end, and especially a guy who's only 6'3". So um, not a lot about him. He was offered by Air Force, San Jose State, Nevada, Idaho, Montana State, some, some pretty decent um, group of five schools. And um, smart kid who was also offered by Columbia and Penn. So, you know, he fits in academically. Uh, his junior season, he had 35 catches for 605 yards and eight touchdowns. He was all league. And he's a preseason all San Diego section uh, first team. Um, he's rated the number 105 tight end in the nation. I don't know how you'd come up with that kind of stuff. But <laughs> and the number 232 overall prospect in the state of California. I'm not sure if he's not the 104th best, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I, mean, I would I would argue that he's at least the 104th best. <laughs> but uh, that that's pretty much – he's a three-star. That's pretty much the uh, only football recruiting news from last uh, the last week or so as we uh, edge closer – to the season, I don't know that we'll see a whole lot more activity uh, for the, for a little while, but yeah. uh, that's pretty much it. How about basketball? Uh, any 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 news there with uh, all the all the offers that are out for the next couple classes? Uh, not a lot going on. Uh, guys are starting to make some of their visits around the country. I know. Uh, uh, Don Knupel is taking, I think, an unofficial visit to Marquette, or I think it's Marquette this weekend. He's uh, coming to Charlottesville, I think, the 15th of September. I'm not, I think that's the right date. He's going to uh, Virginia Duke and Alabama uh, within a short time frame. I, I'm, I'm wondering if that might be the final three he's looking at. I know he's also looked at Wisconsin, his home state school. And, uh, again, Marquette's right there uh, in his city. Uh, but this will be his second visit to Virginia, Chris. And so I, th I think that's important that um, you can get a kid back for a second look and maybe a defining look. Uh, Duke got in late. Virginia's been on him from the get-go. Uh, I think Alabama got in late. So um, I know he's Virginia's main recruiting target. And I think this kid, Chris, is the kind of kid that 
could help Virginia get to a Final Four. Uh, in fact, I, if if they don't if they do get him and don't get to a Final Four, I, I'll be shocked because he's that good. He can shoot the eyes out of it, but he's not just a shooter. He's got great overall game, great overall skill. Um, he's a, a solid kid. Uh, I think it would be a great teammate, and he would work well with the parts that they have and the parts coming back. And, um, I mean, he's – I talked to my son about him. My son uh, believes that he's better than uh, J.J. Reddick was for Duke So because he's a more complete player. So, um, man, if they land him in September, that would be reason for Wahoo Nation to throw a party and celebrate. We'll look for that news. Uh, we'll hope it comes along pretty soon. So uh, as we're getting ready to wrap up, Jerry, what else has your attention uh, in UVA sports land? Well, a couple of things. Um, one is, is kind of outside of UVA sports land, but he's um, more related to your side of the mountain. Uh, we want, we'd be remiss if we didn't um, give our condolences to Paul Hatcher's family, the uh, great legendary high school basketball coach at Robert E. Lee, passed away uh, at age 80. And um, I didn't realize this. I, I probably did know it been forgotten about it because I haven't covered high school sports much the last five years since I've been independent. Uh, but anyways, 897 career wins at R.E. Lee. Stanton and uh, a state record. I don't, nobody has won that many games in basketball in, in the state of Virginia. So uh, our uh, prayers go out to him and his family. Um, I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a few times uh, over the years. And I'm sure you did. Uh, yeah, yeah. And just a just a great fella. Uh, the one of the other things I thought was pretty cool. Uh, former UVA baseball player Zach Geloff. Uh, in his rookie season with the Oakland A's, got called up, as most Wahoos know. Uh, it's amazing. He he's uh, He's got 10 career home runs already, and that's the fewest games. Uh, he's done that in 35 games. That's the fewest games to hit 10 career home runs to debut with the Oakland A's in the club history. Uh in 35 games, Mark McGuire did it in 41 games, and Jose Canseco did it in 49 games. So what a start for Zach Gilloff. And I would wonder, Reggie Jackson debuted as an Oakland A as well back in the 60s, right? So, I mean, he, he's he, when you set an Oakland A's record, you're you're setting a record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's big-time stuff right there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our friend Andrew Abbott keeps rolling uh, with the Reds. Um, I think he's up to eight and three now and has like a 2.99 ERA and continues just to uh, be a wonder, wonder king <laughs> as a rookie with the Reds. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to have to get him on the show before the season ends. That's for sure. Yes, indeed. But uh, not a lot else going on. Uh, but the men's uh, soccer team, which uh, opened up last night with a one nothing win over Iona, the women tied Michigan, uh, I think it was a scoreless draw. So uh, 
they're off to uh, good starts. And yeah, they're two zero and one. The game last night, boy, the last minute. Uh, I think it was the last minute of the game. The Michigan had a great chance to score, uh, and the keeper, the keeper uh, made a r- almost miraculous save to to keep it at nil nil. So, um, but yeah, the yeah, it's soccer season's off. The football is starting in a week. Uh, next week's a game week. So, um, all right. Well, okay. We always like to do this, Jerry. Let's help thank, let's thank the people who help make this response, uh, make this possible for us here on Jerry, the Jerry Ratcliffe show. Absolutely. Let's start off with the Aberdeen barn, Virginia's finest steakhouse. Great service, great food, great atmosphere. Drop by and see Terry and Angela. Tell them that Hootie and Chris sent you and, uh, brace yourself for a great meal and a great, Evening of uh, relaxation over at the barn. Um, gosh, who knows who you might run into while you're there. Uh, every Wahoo that's ever breathed, I think, has, has been through that place many times and uh, liked to dine there. So uh, what a popular spot in Charlottesville. And, again, the food is superb. So go by and see the barn. We appreciate uh, them supporting us as – well as the Good Feet store over at Stonefield Shopping Center right across from the theater. Uh, Jonathan Cotton, Crozet Boy. Um, loved the business so much that he bought it and has turned it into uh, one of the hottest, uh, fastest growing businesses in the mid-Atlantic. They're all over Virginia, North Carolina. Heck, they're up in Cleveland, um, D.C., Maryland areas. And uh, they design uh, special arches for your feet, conform to your feet to make your walking, running more comfortable or standing if you have to do that. Uh, Even if you don't have any pain or discomfort, they can just make it uh, a lot easier for you. And I know I'm one of their customers and I can testify that uh, it works and you should uh, give it it a try. Uh, They're great people. They support UVA, support the community and, um, uh, again, tell them that Chris and Hootie sent you. And uh, Roback, right here, little doggy. Um, Chris, they've just come out this week with uh, a new line of UVA gear, uh, some UVA performance wear polos. I just uh, saw them the other day. Uh, they they like to name all of their polo shirts. And uh, uh, they have uh, the three Virginia shirts. Uh, one is called Virginia Game Day, and it has uh, it's blue and it has all kinds of UVA uh, symbols on it, icons on it. Uh, one is the Cavalier. Um, I can't remember the color of it. And uh, the V-Saber, it's also decorated with V-Sabers all over the shirt. And uh, I, I assume they have that for men and women, but... They have a women's line, a men's line. They've got everything, polos, hoodies, uh, sh- jogging shorts, sweatpants, you name it. You can go play golf in it, play tennis in it, wear it to a party, uh, wear it casually r- around work. Um, check them out on our website. Get 20% off your first order. Helps us and helps Roback, a Charlottesville-based company. Uh built by Darden School graduates. So uh, thank all these sponsors. Without them, we couldn't bring you this free content every week or 
um, the website as well. So uh, we appreciate their support. I'm going to send them an email. I've got a new uh, product idea, the Hootie Hoodie. <laughs> that might scare people off. <laughs> well, I, I think I think we can move some product that way. Uh, yeah, who, who knows? You might maybe <laughs> I like the name. <laughs> the name anyway is catchy. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks to our sponsors. Uh, thanks to the listeners out there. Thanks, of course, to Jerry, the Hall of Famer, joining us here on the Jerry Rackliff Show. I get to be the lucky guy to, to be the co-host here, Chris Graham. Signing off, go to jerryrackliff.com. Go to augustafreepress.com for the latest on UVA sports. Everyone have a great week. <laughs>